Well, I just want to start off by saying thank you very much. Um, we are a 12-month residential program, and uh, Community Bible has been such a tremendous support and encouragement to us. We couldn't do what we're doing without your help. We have a fee schedule, but uh, over two-thirds of our men are not able to pay anything, and we allow them to come anyway. And so thank you very, very much. Um, this uh, drug and alcohol addiction problem is terrible. Uh, it seems like everybody knows somebody. And the CDC declared that last year there was more overdoses in the United States than any time in recorded history in our country. The problem is just really terrible. And when a person has gotten into the grips of addiction, it would be hard to describe how, how, how strong that hold is on them. Some people say, why don't they just quit? It would be great if it was that simple. It is, it, is, uh, it is spiritual, mental, emotional bondage. It's just, it's, it's, it's a terrible thing. But uh, I want to kind of describe to you a little bit about uh, what our program is and does. And when I say 12 months, one of the first things that comes to my mind is I'm so proud of these men for setting aside 12 months of their life to come and to be a part of a, of a Christ-centered, Bible-centered addiction recovery program. Could we just give them a hand? Amen. 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 That's right. Amen. 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 Thank you very much. See, uh, Long-term recovery has the highest success rate. See, it's a deep problem. It's a pattern that has developed and and entrenched. And so it takes 12 months. And see, uh, the things that we do over 12 months, see, it's, it's, it's a long time, enough time to have a good start on being away from the wrong people and the wrong places. Your body gets used to being without the alcohol and drugs. But, but more importantly than even that, is learning how to live life differently, learning how to even think differently, even learning how to handle your emotions differently. I like to tell an illustration. Okay, has anybody here ever had a bad mechanic? Seems like there's a lot of them. Well, suppose you had a bad mechanic, but your heart went out to him because he was lost. He didn't know Jesus. So you're praying for him. You invite him to church every once in a while. And then, uh, so praise the Lord, you see him come in the back door. You've been praying for him. He's lost. Here he comes in the back door. And then Pastor Gary gives an invitation at the end of the service. And he comes forward, tears running down his face. He kneels down. Pastor explains how you, how you surrender to Christ, how you ask to be forgiven, believe that he died on the cross for your sins. And he's sincere, and, and he prays the prayer. You know what you have right in that moment, that glorious moment? You have a wonderfully saved, going-to-heaven, bad mechanic. Until he learns how to do his mechanic work differently, see, he's saved, he's going to heaven, but he doesn't really know how to do mechanic work. 
See, so we got to, we have a, I'll, I'll explain it to you in the way of a schedule. 7 o'clock wake up, 7.30 breakfast, 8 o'clock morning chores, 8.30, 30 minutes where you find a spot and read your Bible and pray and spend some time with the Lord. Then 9.15 to 10.15, the first class, personal studies, where you've been given worksheets and workbooks and books to work to do on your own with a staff member present in case you have a question, in case you want to talk to that staff member. And then from 10.30 to 11.45, group studies, where there's a teacher leading the class, there, there's discussion, there's whiteboard, there's PowerPoint. And these classes, see, I'll just, just to mention a few, attitudes. See, some of us have attitudes that have got us in trouble. Some of those attitudes were passed down to us from generation to generation. So learning how to have a different attitude, learning how to handle temptation, learning how to handle your emotions, See, growing through failure, uh, so whether it's you're too excited or you're too depressed, learning how to handle those emotions, learning how to handle conflict, see? We have advanced classes like on creating a resume and job search and, and an interview and work ethic, advanced classes on, on dating and marriage. So see, it's all about being transformed by the renewing of your mind, not only being there for a year, there's really no magic wand about just ping, everything's different. You learn to think different, learn to act different, learn to react different, learn how to respond, learn how to relate differently. That's why it has one of the highest success rates of any program in the country. And so not only does it involve those classes, we have lunch. Uh, we have a wonderful cafeteria. I'm going to show you a slideshow in just a minute to just show you some, some visuals of what I'm talking about. But then we have recreation. We have a 15-acre campus on the river in, in Franklin, uh, and it's just beautiful. It was an old church camp. It took us a year to fix it up. It had been sitting empty for 10 years. The water pipes had exploded. The gas line was messed up. The septic line was messed up. The well was running out of water. The roof was leaking. It, it took us a year to fix it up, but it's perfect because it's 15 acres. It was 15 buildings. Now it's 17 buildings. We've built a couple of buildings, done a lot of renovation. So see, after lunch, they have recreation. So we have a full gym for the guys to work out. We have volleyball, basketball, cornhole, horseshoes. And then after that, we have what's called work detail. Now see, work detail involves not only some vocational training, but ground maintenance and building maintenance, but also learning how to work under a leader and learning how to work together. That's important too, isn't it? Because if you don't know that, you'll go from job to job to job to job. So we have an auto shop. We have a wood shop. We have a thrift store. And, and I'll tell you some more about that later uh, where our men go volunteer there. They do volunteer work in the community, uh, working with Habitat, CareNet, other groups, Mana Food Bank, uh, volunteer work helping elderly people do yard work or helping people move. And, uh, and so then, then there's a little bit of free time after supper, then study hall. We have music, as you can tell. Boy, don't the men sound awesome when they sing? Man. It's just amazing how they sound. We have a couple taking guitar lessons. And, uh, and, and then also on every other weekend, they go hiking. And then we visit local churches. So, and, and see, and there's some counseling involved there too because many men have 
some traumatic events in their life that they need to talk about. Maybe, maybe there's some people they need to reconcile with, forgive. Maybe there's some things they need to repent about. So see, all of that, God has put together such an awesome thing where there's different aspects to recovery all in, in the same program. So you have the classes, you have the counseling, you have work, vocational then you have recreational, you have wilderness with hiking. Uh, it's just really neat what God has put all together under one roof. So I just want to show a, a short, oh, I forgot to tell you, this is, this is pretty big. So see, we got a lease on it in September of 2015. This is kind of like an anniversary for us. So we got a lease on it, but it took us a year to fix it up. And then in 2019, we got owner financing mortgage on it, which was great because we'd fixed it up a lot. And then something happened in March. It was paid off. Yeah. Wow. Is he able to do exceedingly abundantly above and beyond all we could think or ask? Amen. And I believe this ministry is a part of God's heart. You know, I think it's just a part of his heart, giving people a second chance. So I'm going to show you a short video. It's just a couple minutes. to kind of gives you some visuals of what I just described our program. In.
Amen. Those aerial shots was me learning how to fly a drone, and it's now held together with super glue and paper clips. We want to do a, a few uh, testimonies, interview style. So, uh, Jason, tell us what's it li- what was it like growing up? Well, for me growing up, uh, I had a pretty good childhood. Uh, grew up playing baseball, ran cross country and track in high school. Went to the youth group uh, in my church growing up. Got to do some pretty cool trips growing up. So, pretty normal. Good deal. Now, how did you get started into uh, using... What was the introduction for you? Well, for me, it wasn't until I was almost 21 that I uh, decided, like, I wanted to hang out with some other people and start partying and stuff. Um, started drinking a little bit here and there and then smoking marijuana, and that was kind of the introduction, and then it went from there. So, so tell us about how it progressed from the introduction to getting worse. Well, it progressed in my early 20s, and... I got married when I was 26, and it actually kind of stayed the same until I hit my 30s, and I had some rough patches in my marriage, and anxiety and depression started kicking in, and I didn't really know what to do with it. I didn't know how to cope with it, so I turned more heavy to the, to the liquor. And kind of if you can describe what it was like at its worst. Well, at its worst, it was really a period of time. It was from uh, probably about 2017, 2020. Uh, my wife came home one day, my ex-wife now, came home one day, and she couldn't wake me up. She called an ambulance, and uh, I went to the hospital, and I had a .49 alcohol level. Um, mm. yeah, the doctor told me, like, if I hadn't been found, who knows what would have happened. Mm. And then it kept progressing there. I didn't really get better. I quit on my own for a while, but it, it just wasn't sustainable and ended up getting divorced, and it went downhill from there. I've never heard of an alcohol level that high before. Neither have I. I'm so glad that you made it. I'm so glad that you're still here with us. So how did you find out about us? How did you end up coming to us? Well, coming here is my second teen challenge, actually. Um, the first one was in Dublin, Georgia, and my mom just kind of randomly found it. And I went there, I graduated. I left with my own plans, my own plans to go on a mission trip to Brazil. Travel bans happened. I got idle and I isolated. Mm. Um, I had a knowledge, a head knowledge, but I was still working on my relationship with Christ. So I isolated myself and then I got back into drinking a little bit because of the anxiety and depression, but I saw a pattern and decided I needed more time. A year wasn't long enough for me. Being sober wasn't enough to stay sober. So we found this one, because I could have went back to the other one, but something about this place told me to come. So now I'm here seven months in, and uh, it's a lot different this time. I'm really feeling like I have a relationship with God this time. Describe that just a little bit. Like, since you've come, what would you say has been occurring for you and in you? Well, this time, it's not about being sober. It's not about staying sober. It's about pressing into God. It's about uh, letting the Word transform my mind. Um, 
And I, I find that the, if, as long as I focus on God, everything else is just kind of handling itself. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Thank you, brother. Thank you. Amen. Brother Quinn, when we talked about No Magic Wand, I just want to explain about the second teen challenge for, for Jason. Um, you know, you have to apply what you've learned, and it has to be uh, a lifestyle that you follow through on walkout. But I will say this, what happened with him is not uncommon when, when somebody graduates, the success rate's real high, but for those who do relapse, many of them go back and get more help and do well, and those that end up coming a second time do very well, so really proud of Jason for that. Amen, brother. How are you? I'm good. All right. Well, explain what your growing up was like. Uh, growing up was really tough for me. Uh, my dad left when I was born, so... My mom raised three kids on her own, which for the parents, it's pretty much nearly an impossible task. So growing up was really tough. Mm. And uh, so when did you get introduced to doing uh, things that you shouldn't in the way of what my, made you? My mom was dealing with an addiction of her own and just watching her grow up. I mean, she didn't introduce me to it, but... By 10, I was smoking cigarettes, and by 14, I was experimenting with drugs, looking for my father, and I found him, and what I found was my true addiction to meth. Mm. And describe how it progressed. Uh, every day, it progressed more and more. What it, it turned to experimenting, what turned to a lifestyle, which turned to, I guess, idolatry, and I mm. worshipped it. Mm. One point. And at its very worst, like uh, it was really the worst, worst it was. Bad. Uh, lonely. I pushed everyone out of my life, including my pregnant girlfriend. Uh, I didn't care about anything as long as I got high. And mm. I ended up with felony charges and in jail. That was its worst. And how'd you find out about us? Uh, <clears throat> I was in a. While in jail, I got an application to there. This spiritual brother named Hank, Chaplain Hank, uh, he helped me in an interrogation room, opened my eyes to God, and helped me help God come into my life. And Isn't that, me. you said that was interesting, in the yeah, interrogation room? The, the interrogation room, room of all places. Uh, the last place I wanted to be there was there, but it was the most beneficial thing that ever happened to wow. me. Wow, amen. So just describe a little bit what God's been doing since you've been here. He's done a lot. He's cured me of my loneliness, my addictions. I've completely surrendered to him. He's brought back my family that I pushed away for so long. He's shown me this better way of living, that the way I was living was absolute darkness. And Satan had such a control on me, and he broke it within six months. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen, brother. Thank you. Proud of you. Amen. Amen. Amen.
Brother D. What Quinn was describing, that, that hopelessness, that loneliness is just very common. It's a real tough place for them to be. Brother D. Well, kind of explain to us what it was like when you were growing up and everything. Uh, growing up was good. I had a good childhood, um, very, uh, very good family support, and uh, I'm my only child as well. Single mother household, but growing up was good for me. I got to be a kid. Yeah, and uh, so how did you progress from that into getting introduced to abuse of, of substances? Okay, so... Uh, it didn't really start until I went to college and uh, I played ball through school, but uh, I started partying, drinking, and smoking, and uh, I guess academics took a back seat to a social life and a basketball career, and it got hard to balance those three things, and uh, so I was in the world from when I was 18 until like now, I guess, till being a teen challenge, and uh, when I got done with school, kind of fizzled out my basketball career, and uh, got introduced to painkillers and after that that jumped to heroin and then the fentanyl use and i was dealing drugs in between all that and uh mm. with a newborn baby in the picture as well mm. so i thought i was managing my life well paying the bills making money holding the job down but i wasn't mm. and at its very worst at its worst uh this is my second time coming to teen challenge well third time I went to Teen Challenge in Chattanooga for a period of eight months. And uh, after I got done with that, I started experimenting with drugs again. And I overdosed, wrecked my car into an apartment building, took out the heat and the power. It took 10 minutes for them to revive me. Mm. And uh, I woke up in the hospital and the sheriff's department took me to jail. And uh, I sat in jail for a while and still wasn't done. I got out and went right back to it. And... Uh, I was homeless in Chattanooga for a while as well, and I knew about this place growing up, uh, Teen Challenge, and um, God just met me one day when I was on the way to get high for the last time. God literally started talking to me in the car and was like, this is your last time, man. This is it. Your favor's about to run out. Uh, mm. I've showed you a lot of mercy this whole time. My hand's always been upon your life. You just haven't been able to see it, and uh, I decided to come. There, of the lowest places I've been, that was the lowest, and God met me right there where I was at, so I'm thankful for that. For Amen. Sure. Describe a little bit about what God's been doing now. Well, uh, I got a relationship with my family. Uh, they, they see that I'm doing the right thing, and they can see that there's a big difference in the last three times I went to rehab versus now, because I haven't committed my life to more than four months the previous three times. And this is a 12-month process, and I've Amen. needed every single day, every minute, every second I've needed. And uh, before, I will kind of run away from my problems or just kind of dissociate a lot of things that I was dealing with. And now, being in a house with, like, 18 other guys and staff members 24-7, you kind of do a better job at conflict resolution because there's good, <laughs> good ways to deal with it and bad ways. And I'm kind of figuring out the best ways to deal with it and not put things on the back burner to where I just, you know, explode and all that. And uh, let me say just God's been so good to me. Obviously, I'm standing up here, but um, I've learned to be reliant on him. And I talk to him now more than I ever have in my life. And I grew up in church. It's just the seeds are finally being able to be watered now. 
Amen, brother. Thank you. I love you. Proud of you. Amen. Amen. bring a, a message here. Uh, if you would, please turn with me in your Bibles to uh, Psalm 85. I was reading in my quiet time one time, and I, and I saw this, and I thought, wow, this is so good. Oh, I wanted to say something else, too, before I get into that. Not only have you guys supported us, which we really appreciate so much, just when I mentioned about how I was proud of those guys and y'all stood up. Our guys feel so loved and encouraged when they come here. And I remember the last time that we were here, we were just attending. And uh, great service and, and uh, pastor gave an invitation. And some of our guys started responding to that invitation. And you guys just started getting out of your seats and just uh, covering our guys in prayer. And, and even a few of you went over to the, the ones that didn't respond and was praying over them. And we just feel so warmly embraced and loved and adopted here. And that just means so much to us. Thank you very much. Amen. Okay, where were we? Psalm 85. See, this kind of goes along with the bad mechanic thing. This is real important. This is real important for our men, but it's, I think it's important for, for anybody. Okay, so Psalm 85, let's start in verse 7, go through verse 13, but we're going to kind of go back to verse 10. Uh, so I'm reading out of the New King James Version. Psalm 85, verse 7. Show us your mercy, Lord, and grant us your salvation. I will hear what God the Lord will speak. For he will speak peace to his people and to his saints. But, but look at this. But let them not turn back to folly. See? Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, that glory may dwell in your land. Mercy and truth have met together. Mm. Righteousness and peace have kissed Man, when I read that, I thought, man, that is so good. I'm going to unpack that in a minute. Truth shall spring out of the earth, and righteousness shall look down from heaven. Yes, the Lord will give what is good, and our land will yield its increase. Righteousness will go before him and shall make his footsteps our pathway. Boy, isn't that good? Who's thankful for his mercy? Man, see, we're, we're so thankful for his mercy. It's so important to remember that, how he gave us mercy. Uh, see, grace is unmerited favor. Mercy is withholding deserved punishment. See, now, do you know who really needs mercy more than anybody? Nobody. <laughs> we all need it. We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All, our righteousness is filthy rags. All of us, every single one of us. Now, see, this is the thing, though. Look at this. This is what I saw that I really thought was really pretty awesome. Mercy and truth go together. See? Mercy and truth go together. Now, too many of us use mercy as an excuse to not follow the truth. See? 
Too many of us use mercy as an excuse to not follow the truth. But mercy and truth go together. See? In John 8, the woman uh, caught in the act of adultery, Jesus shows up. He says, uh, he, he, you know, if you've never sinned, go ahead and throw a rock. Well, then, then they all end up leaving. He says, I don't condemn you. But then he said something. What did he say? Go and sin no more. He said, I don't condemn you. But things have to change, see? So, so just because you receive, receive mercy doesn't mean you don't embrace the truth. See, he was telling her things got to change. So we not only have to be glad that he forgave us and glad for that mercy, but hold on to this. But embrace the truth that we ignored that got us in the mess we were in. Embrace the truth that we ignored that got us into the mess that we were in. So Jesus later said, you'll know the truth and the truth will Set you free, make you free. You know, for some of us, we want to be forgiven and we want to receive that mercy. But for us, if we were to say the verse and put it in, in the way that, that, that applies, I think some of us would say, uh, you'll know the truth and the truth will make you mad. Sometimes we hear the truth and we don't really want to do that. I was thinking about when I was in Bible college, there was a, a, a guy that I was pretty good friends with. And he was really mad. Boy, he was just stewing in his juices. You know what I'm talking about? He was just really mad. And he said, uh, he said, I loaned some money to this guy, and he hasn't paid me back. Man, I'm so mad at him. And I, I keep talking to him about it. And I, says, I said, well, brother, the Bible says, lend and expect nothing in return. He said, it can't mean that. See, the, the truth will make us mad sometimes. Sometimes we don't really want to know the truth because then we have to do stuff we really don't want to do, but, but we should embrace it. Uh, you know, Romans 6 talks about should we, should we keep on sinning that grace may abound? No, may it never be. And Ephesians 4 says we're supposed to put off the old self and put on the new. See, that's why our men have classes and counseling and, and work and See, because Matthew 28, 19 says, go make disciples. It talks about teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. See, that's so important. No magic wand. Uh, we got to learn a new way to live and think and act and react and all that. And we got to want the truth and embrace the truth. Now, what about that second part? Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. That's so good. Walking in righteousness brings you peace. That's what we want. Now, we know that we're, we're, we're saved by the blood of Jesus. So there's a righteousness that's imputed because of the blood. There's also a lifestyle of righteousness. So see, so see righteousness, that, the word has got a bad rap. Well, actually, if you walk in his ways, then you have more peace. That's good. That's what we want. And, and I really believe his word works. When we do what he says, it really does turn out best. His word really is right and best and true and for our own good. See, uh, he's Lord. We're supposed to obey him, the Bible says. But it, it, it is that. 
you know, because we're supposed to confess him with our mouth. Jesus is the Lord. We're supposed to surrender to him. But see, it's not just arbitrary rules. He loves us. And, and he, he gave us the best owner's manual there ever was. And when we do what it says to do, it turns out best. See, the devil lies to us. People are deceitful. Our own heart is deceitful. The flesh is deceitful. And we need this owner's manual. We need this anchor to know how to live. Let me, let me show you another, another wow. Psalm 119, verses 44 and 45 says, so I will keep your law continually. Boy, now that, that see, that, that would turn some people off. I'll keep your law. I'll keep your law. And all that sounds kind of tough and almost legalistic. Well, anyway, so I'll keep your law continually forever and ever. And I will walk at liberty for I seek your precepts. So see, doing things God's way is liberty. It's not a straitjacket. You know, it's, it's not a downer. See, Righteousness, doing things his way, brings us liberty and peace. I love that. Isn't that great? Freedom when you obey and do what God says to do. So we, we need to want the truth and walk in that. Mercy and truth go together. Righteousness and peace go together. So see, I think the Lord wants our men, all of us, to not only... Be thankful that we experienced his spirit move on our heart. You know what I'm talking about? Well, I remember when I experienced that the first time, I just cried. Just feeling God's love moving on my heart. And, and he loves us, doesn't he? Uh, he loves us in spite of us. See, the world loves if you do something or because you do something. He just loves us. It's unconditional love. So we experience that love. And he's the God of a second chance. And he shows his grace and his mercy. He forgives us. He gives us hope and peace and a promising future. But you can't put new wine in an old wineskin, see? It's not just making your life that you lived before better, see? We need a whole different perspective. Now, guys, what is my favorite verse, my life verse? Matthew six thirty-three. See? Now, the enemy came to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus wants to have it life more and more abundantly. It's not just a better you. It's not just a better life, what you had before. It's a whole new perspective. I'm going to call it the kingdom perspective. Okay, in the Lord's Prayer, it says, Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Matthew 6, 33. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. See, it's a kingdom dimension. It's a whole new perspective. It's, it's seeing God. It's seeing what he's doing, seeing how we're a part of it. What a promise. Lord, help us to see that kingdom. Help us to see what he's doing. Now, I'm going to give you two other things here, and I'm going I'm to wrap it up here. Okay. The secret is seeking first his kingdom. Now, Luke 9, 23, this is a tough verse, and some people don't, don't really, it's challenging. Uh, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow me. See, the secret is when we 
lose our life and give it to him, then we find it. When we lose our life and give it to him, then we find it. That's, that's what it says. He who finds his life will lose it, but he who loses his life for my sake will find it. Wow. To see the kingdom, to see what he's doing, to see how we're a part of it, that whole new kingdom dimension. It's just so awesome and so wonderful. Discover and walk in that whole new dimension, the kingdom life that he has for us. So mercy and truth go together. Righteousness and peace go together. Walking in his ways bring freedom. We get a whole new perspective. We seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. His kingdom come, his will be done. And we find our life by losing it in him. Hallelujah. Amen. Men, come on back up. Would you stand with us? And we're going to close with the worship song.